Hello, and welcome to What's Next, a podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. Data scientists and engineers often spend lots of their time building and training their machine learning models. Missing Link is a new product that eliminates that grunt work by streamlining and automating the entire machine learning process. Today, I'm joined by Missing Link's Yossi Taguri and Joe Solomon, who are part of the growing Samsung Next product development team. Yossi, Joe, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. To start, tell me, what is Missing Link? So uh, I'm Yossi Taguri. I'm the head of uh, Missing Link AI, which uh, basically started as an entrepreneur residence uh, project in uh, Samsung Next Tel Aviv. And... Back at the time, I closed a company that did a lot of deep learning, which was pretty new uh, three years ago. And it's a new technology that allows us to solve hard problems with data, basically, not with writing code. And as an engineer, it really fascinated me that you don't have to write a lot of code to solve really hard problems. And it was new, completely new. And I, we started doing it, started practicing it. And notice that this is very hard, not so simple, and you move very, very slow. So we set out to solve that problem of how can you build really smart machines really, really fast, like you're building software today. And how do you bridge this gap? Because we felt that something is missing. How do you connect? How do you link all those steps of building an AI machine uh, from an engineer standpoint, right? Not from a data scientist standpoint. And it, it's applicable also for data scientists. So what we want to basically do is we want to accelerate the pace of companies building really smart solutions to make our life easier. So Yossi, talk me through as a data scientist or engineer, when you have to set up an experiment and then rerun it, what are the challenges involved with that? So first, you need data. That's the new IP. Without data, you cannot do anything. With deep learning and AI, if you don't have data, you have nothing. The algorithms are out there for free, but you actually need the data. So you need a lot of data, and you need to understand what it means. So to make it simple, if I would build a machine that classifies dogs and cats, I would have a data set, a lot of images, of dogs and cats and maybe some other things that are not dog and cats. Uh, and for each image, I would tag it or label it with what it contains, a, da- a dog, a cat, or not a dog and a cat, right? And then once I have that and it's really ordered, it's probably sitting in a folder somewhere, taking a lot of space, as um, odd as it may seem, it's being managed like files in 2018, Even if you have a terabyte of files, it's still a shared folder somewhere in the organization, uh, which is quite odd because you would think that probably there's a database that can handle it, and the answer is there is not. So people are still doing file copying like the old Norton Commander days from the 90s. Okay, so what happens next? Uh, Then you build something which is called a deep neural network, which is just a set of uh, mathematical functions that are connected to one another. And what you do then is you want that network to absorb the data and understand its meaning. Now, the way it's done is basically you take some of your data, you understand what it's meaning, and you basically push it to the network. 
And then you kind of ask the network, what do you think it is? And it looks on an image and everything is completely random at first. Uh, and the network tells you, oh, this is 50% a dog. And you're going to say to the network, well, I know it's 100% of a dog. You need to tune yourself a bit. So you do this uh, step of tuning the network just a bit, not exactly, not fully going over. It's going to be 51% a dog. And you do it again and again and again, not just with dogs, but also with cats and with things that are not images and ca- uh, dogs and cats. And little by little, every step of the, this, every iteration, this deep neural network suddenly starts to make sense of what is the difference between a cat and a dog. Okay, and so how does missing link fit into all this? So the problem is, is that when you're running that experiment, you have no idea before running it if it's going to be successful or not. And how do you know if something is successful? It's very easy. You take some of the data, you put it aside, we call it test data. You know what it means. You know if it's cats or dogs. And when that training session ends... You go, you take that model, and you just test it. You take those images, you understand what they mean, and you ask the model, what do you think it is? So you know how the good the model is now. But it really takes a lot of time to get to that point in terms of because it's images, it takes, it's, you need GPUs, it's a lot of processing power and time. So if, what happens if something doesn't work, if it really doesn't identify your test set like you expect it to be? So sometimes you have to change the wiring of the network. Sometimes you have to change your data. Maybe your data is not labeled correctly. Maybe you don't have enough. You fix something and then you run another experiment and another experiment and another experiment. And eventually you need to keep track of what you did. What did you change over time? This is part of how you do good science. You document everything. So basically this is the first part of things, being able to track everything that you did. And we want to make sure that nothing gets lost in the process, right? Sometimes people change a bit of code, run the experiment. They forget about that change. It's not documented. It's not in the source control. Basically, knowledge gets lost. So what we do behind the scenes is we're tracking every step of the way. The the second step is when you're dealing with data, sometimes, and, and you're looking back at one of the experiments, sometimes you want to reproduce it. Sometimes you want to go back in time and actually do that step again. And the problem is, is that even if you go to a database, any database today, and you issue a query to that database, and that database returns an answer, that answer is just one point in time. If you will ask the same question again, anytime in the future, you will guarantee to get probably a different answer. Why is that? It's because databases are built to hold the current state of things And they're not able to give you like a time machine, going back in time. What was my state three days ago? That is something that is not built in in any database. While in data science, you want to go back in time because you want to trace back and understand what exactly, which data points I used exactly at that point in time. So we basically build a time machine for data. When you're asking our solution for data, we guarantee that no matter how data evolves over time, when you will ask the same question, you will get the exact result. The way we do that is similar to how you version code, right? Developers are always guaranteed to be able to go back in time because they have commits. It's version control. And the third part is when you are doing those experiments, it needs to run somewhere. When you heard about GPUs, 
And a GPU is a special processing unit that is able to do a lot of math um, uh, in parallel. And when you're running and you have a lot of data, it's really important to run on the fastest one because you want to save time. You want to get the results as much as possible. So what we're allowing you to do is basically just completely automate all that scaling in the cloud of doing those experiments and tracking it. So it's on one hand experiments, you have the data, you have the hardware, and now you can launch as many experiments as you want and move as fast as you can. So Joe, what are the factors that are converging to make data science and machine learning so important right now? Like, why is everybody talking about machine learning? It's a combination of several things. First of all, there is a higher demand for complex scenarios today. You know, think of autonomous cars, right? This demand is being fed from the fact that we, you can actually utilize AI. And the barriers that were up till a few years ago mainly were access to data. And this is like the next revolution after the big data revolution. So the big data revolution made it that almost any entity in the world has access to huge chunks of data. And the next part is, of course, compute. Like deep learning as a technology exists for over 30 years, but only in the last few years, the conditions were met. So almost any company, not just the giants like Google and AW and Amazon and, and Facebook can do it, but actually any startup with an, a cloud account can now, uh, can now run it. The key is actually getting access to the data and not just the data itself by in its raw form, but the, I would say, curated data, the tag data. And this is, this becomes a question of how do I clean the data and how do I add more knowledge on top of the data and tune the data to my, to the problem that I'm trying to solve and not just putting my hands on data. Of course, this is like the basic requirement, but it's not enough. And and this is key when you want to solve uh, problems with AI. Right. So the one of the things that I wonder is it seems like there are a lot of companies that are able to now run these experiments, but they're kind of running these experiments in silos, and there's probably a lot of duplication of people working on the same problems. Um, so what's happening from that standpoint and how do we make sure that, you know, if you're one startup in Israel, you're not basically working on the same data set and trying to solve the same problems as a company in San Francisco, it seems like there would be a lot of wasted resources in that type of scenario. You know, innovation happens in parallel in many, many places, smart people think of the same uh, problems they want to solve and they approach it in, in different ways, right? Even in Israel, there are many, many companies that are doing medical uh, detection. We work with some of them uh, and uh, first they have different data sets, right? Uh, and they get to solve the same problem in different ways. So five years from now, maybe we'll be able to converge those different uh, styles and to, into one thing. But it's not necessarily bad. We actually want as many smart people that have access to data to try and to solve as many problems as possible. I would look at it from, from another point of view. I would say that you want the competition. You want to create. Because the question is, is not that this effort is going to waste, but because the insight of what's going to work and what's not going to work is not trivial. 
It's not that you can look at the problem and say, oh, sure, this is going to be solved like that. Still, the, the, the domain is so young that the insights are still being built. So maybe, as Yossi mentioned, a few years from now, it will be redundant to, to some extent. But today we are still in the pioneering days of, of AI where you don't know what will work. And then you need those, all those t- teams to compete against each other. Very similar to what's going on in life science. You know, a lot of researchers are trying to find a cure for cancer or different types of cancer. They don't know which one is the leading, the leading research team. The same goes for AI. Okay. Well, even if we're talking about different teams approaching the same problems and coming to similar solutions or perhaps different solutions, still there's this problem of there's a certain amount of infrastructure that each of them needs to set up. And so I imagine all these teams kind of reinventing the wheel separate from one another. Is that the case? First of all, you, you definitely need infrastructure for everything, right? Now, when when you build a new company, you don't think about it, but you're going with the cloud by default. It wasn't the case like seven, eight years ago. So the big companies like Uber and Facebook and Google, who really understands the value of data, it's not by mistake that they're collecting so much data because they need to process it. And when they approach this need to process it and actually learn from it, they ended up building platforms that allows any engineer on the team, on the company, to do data science, to do deep learning, to do machine learning at scale so they can all be productive and make the most of the data and talent that they have. When a new company starts, you know, a 30-person company is not going to build infrastructure for doing that. That would be a waste of time. Even Facebook did not build it on day one, right? Although they have the data. It took them a lot of time to get to a point where they understand they need to build something around this. So what we are seeing is that companies that are very concerned about their engineering health would start to build little tools inside the company to make their life easier, right? It's like the lazy developers movement. They, they want to sleep. They want to go early uh, back home and they want some kind of an automatic tool to take care of things. So this is where we come in. We're basically saying we want to save you time. Uh, you shouldn't do the same repetitive thing every day. It doesn't make sense. Because you're probably a data science that gets paid a lot and you're still doing really boring things like DevOps, like spinning machines, like copying files. You want them to focus on data science, not on DevOps. That's where we come in. We're saying there's such a thing called deep ops, which is deep learning operations, and we're all completely automating this for you. Okay, so let's talk about your customers. Who are they and how are they using Missing Link right now? So one of them is, uh, is AI Doc, a very exciting company that scans CT scans. And basically they allow every doctor to become an expert doctor in his field because he has this access to uh, a support system that draws his attention to things that are really early on that doctors might not look at. So they can look on a pixel and tell you, you know, this is 80% chance that five years from now, this is going to be a tumor. You have to take a look at that. And just imagine, what is a CT scan, right? You get into that machine, and basically the machine takes images of slices of your brain, right? And it takes dozens of those. 
So the human brain, even the doctors, they cannot handle that amount of data. So what do they do? They basically throw it away and just focus on a few. Now, all that data, amazing data, get thrown away. Nobody's looking at it. It might hold some indication on what the future holds for that patient. What they are doing is basically taking all that data and making sense of it. Because they have historic data from a few hospitals, from a lot, actually a lot of data, they're able to infer how does the future look for you when you're handing them your CT scan. And it's quite amazing because it's becoming affordable. You mentioned them throwing away this data. Are they actually just deleting that data, throwing away, or are they storing it somewhere and not looking at it? So it's the later. Today you store all the data, but the thing is that the human humans cannot process that amount of data. So basically you take a subset of the data, usually a very small subset of the data, and you base your analysis on that. That's the beauty where a, a machine can access the, all, the entire data and because the machine can process much more and in parallel, they can reach a conclusion that might be where humans will make an error. Okay, that's so one of the promises okay, of AI that in some cases they, they will surpass uh, the humans. For example, even today, if you are, we are talking about image recognition, so AI today is doing a better job than what a human being would do on the same uh, data set. So you mentioned AI doc is one of your customers. What are some other use cases? So one of the uh, interesting companies we have in Israel is called Nanit. And Nanit has a, f- a smart baby monitor. So they basically they position a camera uh, inside the baby's cradle. Uh, and they start to do smart thing about it. If the baby wakes up, they're able to tell you uh, he needs help or let him cry for two minutes. He's going to back to sleep. That's what we think because it's just, you know, don't have to attend to it uh, all the time. So uh, it's basically a security uh, camera for babies, and they're very, very successful. And we're able to help them scale their operation in trying to build a better model and a better camera and a better uh, system that predicts for the parents. So what does the future look like if Missing Link becomes ubiquitous? What is the future for, for humanity with uh, relates to AI, right? I highly recommend reading the book, uh, the post-human series. Really will blow your mind about what can be done with, where, where, where are we going? Obviously, we're going to, uh, it's in the far future, but we're going to merge with machines somehow, with nanotechnology, empowering you to be faster, stronger, live longer, and such. But in the short term, I think what would happen is that we would live much longer, not thanks to medicine, but thanks to early detection, to preventing you from doing stupid things, right? I think it's quite obvious that nobody would die from car accidents if everything were autonomous cars, right? The highest risk factor are humans. uh, And uh, we are going to eliminate that, right? As a species, we are going to take away all the all the things that uh, kills us early on. Uh, so I think we are going to have a lot of things get done for us in a completely seamless way that we do not expect, right? You live in the future in America. You have Alexas, and you can order things like toilet paper. And after 20 minutes, somebody would knock on your door and hand it over to you. This is magical to me. (laughs) We don't have that in Israel. 
But this is, this is every kid in America, Alexa, right? They don't think about it anymore. Five years ago, it sounds like science fiction. What do you mean I could press a dash button and get like uh, anything that I want? This is, this is insane. So we're going to see more and more on that in an accelerated pace. Uh, some say a lot of jobs are going to uh, get extinct, right? Uh, and the same happened when the spreadsheet was invented, right? There's an interesting Planet Money podcast about it. But guess what? Ten times more jobs were created to deal with spreadsheets. So we are just getting on another cycle with a revolution where there won't be any taxi drivers 50 years from now, period. Probably no drivers at all. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of other jobs that we don't even know how to define them by now. My kid, I have a kid. My smallest one is six. I have no idea what she's going to do like 20 years from now. Maybe it wasn't invented yet. So I think that we are going to have most of our lives completely automated. And we'll have more need for smarter brains. So I, I think that we are, it's not by mistake that we think that our kids are much smarter than us. They are actually much smarter than us because they have access to technology that drives them much further than we could when we were kids. So we're basically going to live longer, be smarter, and we're going to have much more jobs than we have today moving forward. Okay, that's, that's very ambitious. <laughs> right, you were. I'm willing to bet. <laughs> okay. Um, if you weren't doing this, what, what technology would you be working on? What would you be interested in? So I would say that a company like AI Doc, for example, is a company when I'm looking at and I'm saying, oh, wow, they are actually doing something that if they'll manage to do it, it's amazing. You can hardly say in, in, in the high-tech industry that you are actually saving lives, right? You do some things, in the end of the day, it translates to dollars, right? And this is the first, or, or not the first, but one of those companies you can say, yes, if, if they will manage to fulfill their promise, they will actually save lives in the, in a way that they will say, you know, I, you know, this guy, I saved his life. And for me, like, this is like brilliant karma. And if we won't build, and, are, and our goal is like not to support one initiative like that, but support thousands or tens of thousands of initiatives like that. That's what, you know, draws me into missing link. But if not, then I will try to build a product like this because there is a huge opportunity around AI with that. Okay. And last question. What's one controversial opinion you have that's really strongly held? I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about uh, optimizing my time and optimizing uh, workflows, especially around engineering. I really hate doing the same thing again and again and again. And through all my career, I always automated things. It's, uh, and it really bugs me that manual QA, quality assurance, is not reusable. It's like you're taking human beings, they have this amazing machine, it's a brain, and you're making it do the same thing again and again and again. So one controversial uh, thought I have is that I don't think QA has a right to live. I don't think they have the right to exist. I think we can completely automate those. Like in any company that I had in the past 10 years, I never had a QA 
because we managed to automate everything. And guess what? We ship better, more secured, more stable products because I basically made QA reusable, which you cannot make with humans, right? Uh, with QA, I, I think it's a waste of time and money. And when you want to build a real serious solution, humans must not be involved with QA. So this is one controversial thought I always keeps bugging me. We don't need them. And it sounds a bit, right? It's a, it sounds a bit hard. It's people's lives. So anything that can be repeated by humans can be accelerated by computers, period. Well, I mean, this is a question that I have just in terms of people talking about kids learning to code in 15, 20 years. Will there be a need for developers and engineers in the same way, or will computers be able to write reusable yeah. code smarter than they can? Yeah. So on the same note, I think that what we are doing today is basically making sure that 20 years from now, we will be out of job as engineers, as developers. You will need less of us to build more powerful machines because we will automate most of it. Um, and But it means, you know, uh, uh, the world will be a better place. Uh, people like me in 20 years from now will do something completely different and it's not necessarily bad. But definitely, people will write less code because of AI. We know that today. I think about it a bit differently or from a different point of view. Very similar to the fact that today you write less code than what you wrote 30 years ago, but you have several of orders more magnitude of people who are actually in the high tech industry. So I would say that building systems and building solution would look different and you have different skill sets. You wouldn't write code as we write code today, but you'll write much more code. I would say that the full stack engineer of 10 years from now will have a different tool set. Probably AI will be a predominant part of the tool set, but he will do code differently, but they will code. It will just be done different from the ifs and else and loops that we do today, it will be in a, a much broader definition or attributes. But th what it will mean that the time to market of new initiatives or new system will be much faster. Very similar to think of what it took to create a new website when the internet started, like 20 years ago, right? It would take months for a team of like 10 people to create one single website. And today, with the tools that we have today, a 12-year-old can do it in several hours, right? So that will be the future of development. And I would think that it will open the ranks for many more developers than what we have today. Just not coding as we, we're, we're, as we think of it like we're doing today. That's all. Okay. Well, Yossi, Joe, thank you both for being with us for the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to What's Next. We're releasing a new episode every other week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. Next time, I'm chatting with Dr. Melissa Manis, Chief Scientific Officer of Cohero Health. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King and Laura Flynn, with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. 
Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email at podcast at samsungnext.com. Until next time.